2: In today's show, we cover the five biggest stories from the world of F1, including the fallout from the French Grand Prix, sustainability in Formula One and Formula E, Williams' potentials, Haas and Schumacher upgrades, and potential retirement on the grid. Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds news team, your essential F1 weekly news digest. Each week we bring you the top five news stories from the past week and today we finally have a full panel back, there are four of us. Catherine, you're back, your second news show, how are you? I'm very good thank you, I'm excited for this week's show. Sam, you haven't done a podcast in ages so it's good to have you back today
0: bonsoir i've been in france so i've been learning my french uh, and bonsoir is my favorite way of saying hello especially when it's the evening obviously uh yeah i'm all good i'm all good how are you abby
2: i'm good thank you and james you're a bit more rough than the rest of us having had covid how are you
1: i'm good thanks abby nice to finally be back and uh just out of bed to be honest it's a relief
2: <laughs> well i will hand it straight over to you james for fallout from the french grand prix
1: well, it's a triple. It's a triple fallout really for the French Grand Prix. Two for Ferrari and one for Red Bull. Uh, first off, we have Charles Leclerc having t- you know a couple of publicly coming out and saying uh, the championship fight is pointless if I keep making mistakes, which you can understand. We then also have Carlos Sainz trying to frantically defend his team, saying everything we do is uh, is is, uh, is scrutinised more than other teams. I mean, uh, to be honest, I think any team that tries to pit, to call their driver into the pit. As they're battling for the lead, you know, battling for third place, uh, is going to be scrutinized. And then you also have Perez, who was left, quote, feeling screwed by the virtual safety car ending. And he just, it looks as if he just didn't turn up to the race really at that, at that particular moment in time. So we'll take a, we'll take them all one step at a time. But first off, what do you guys think about, uh, Leclerc's comments that he needs to stop making mistakes to, to get a championship, to get his championship bid on track? I'm pretty confident there what you guys are going to say to that. But, uh, what do you think?
0: <laughs> I'm going to be really generic here and say that I think it's really refreshing the way he he tackled that interview. It was a honest um, and conciliatory message that he put across. He knows that there are things that he needs to improve on. And you know, I think the, the general consensus is that that is what's separating him from being at that level that he'd need to be to win a championship that's the difference between him and a Verstappen or him and a Hamilton at this stage. Um, but at least he knows it. Um, they've, he's been working with, um, I think it's Yacht Clear, um, who worked with Williams in the late 90s um, during their championship runs, I believe, um, to kind of on the mental side of things this year. So there's definitely progress to be made still um, for him. But yeah, he's got all the speed and all the talent, but there's something that, he needs to kind of refine in his in his approach to the races, for sure.
2: Yeah, I think we briefly spoke about it on the race review, but seeing him react like that, especially over the radio, it was completely different to how he's reacted in the past. And there are videos on social media of him with the marshals, and he's like throwing his helmet down, and he's just pacing up and down because he is so annoyed at himself, and you see the marshals consoling him because of what happened and yes it could have been a mistake but i do feel like there was some issue with the car potentially because we heard him say on the radio about the throttle issues he couldn't get off the throttle and in the previous race again well yeah in austria he had throttle issues after science crashed you could see leclerc having trouble so i think there are reliability issues for ferrari that they do need to sort out as for the championship being over He's at a 63 point deficit at the moment but we are we're only like halfway through. We, we're round 12 heading into round 13. We still have a long way to go and I think if like with the new floor rules coming in at, at Spa Red Bull could be in trouble there with having to change theirs and Ferrari maybe but I do think Leclerc still has some sort of a chance.
3: I think that probably Maybe Charles does not. He has like a slight chance at the championship. Maybe I would be more hopeful for Ferrari to have a chance at the constructors because they can get points from both drivers rather than just one driver going at it alone. I think what happened with Charles in France. There is no point in speculating on whether it was a team's fault or whether it was his fault. He crashed. He lost the points, and I think he, as a team, they have to move on from it now. And then, as you said, we had signs saying that Ferrari are not a disaster. And then what really stood out for me was Benotto saying that Ferrari can win the last 10 races. I think it's good to have that sort of positivity, but I think at the same time you have to be realistic.
1: Well, very quickly before we move on to Red Bull... Can we talk quickly about Carlos Sainz's comments? You touched upon them, upon them there, Catherine. Uh, Ferrari, Carlos Sainz says the Ferrari are examined more than other teams when it comes to strategy calls. They have had a few blunders on the pit on the pit wall this year. Can't deny it. Uh, for me, what was very interesting though was Sainz was battling with Perez for third place, and he was being told told to pit, come into the pits on that lap. Uh, it, what do you guys think about? where Ferrari are it seems at the moment with their strategy calls and do we think they're just being unfairly targeted or do you think there is some discussion and some merit behind the
0: criticism? It's it's difficult to kind of look at the, the radio messages and pinpoint exactly when they were said. I, I, it does very much sound like that radio message when he was in the midst of that battle with Perez and he was saying, not now, not now, not now. That does seem like it was around the time that that actually was kind of, it was broadcast around the time that it was actually kind of said. But a lot of the stick that ferrari get online i think is somewhat naive because people were like oh the they're saying this and they should have been saying that two laps ago and it's like they probably were saying that two laps ago there's just a delay in in sky or whoever broadcasting that to to us as as the audience so you've got to you know take those stuff those things with a pinch of salt however there is a reason why ferrari is scrutinized more heavily for their strategy calls There is a perception, and perceptions endure. And for Ferrari, for the last few years, they have routinely made blunders or errors, misjudgments, whatever you want to call them, on a strategy front. And really, the first few races of the season, it looked like they'd started to eradicate that, looked like they'd elevated the game when they needed to. All of a sudden, they have a championship-winning car, and they're performing like a championship-winning team. Clearly, they're not now. I do think Science has done the right thing, though, to stand by the team and defend them and say, look, there's there's not a big, as bigger issue here as you think there is. But ultimately, I do think the call did cost them a podium, sir, um, podium on the weekend.
3: I would have to agree with Sam on this one. It's just the thing is... If you're doing something wrong and people are going to scrutinize you for it, it's a sign you know we have been seeing this for no for now so, for so many years with Ferrari just making the wrong calls over and over again and they never seem to learn from it now it's true that okay sky maybe show the um, the radio maybe two laps later and sometimes that happens also because as a journalist myself we want a story we want to create the drama but at the same time it's just you cannot deny that such calls are wrong even just it's like we saw it before like in silverstone like the strategy it, it could have brought both dry drivers on a podium, but instead they just, they took a very complicated turn and ended up having only one driver on the podium. So it's just, I think that it's okay. Fair enough for him. He's trying to stand by the team, but let's not fool
1: ourselves either. Perez, Russell and the VSC. Russell sneaked past Perez when the, when the virtual safety car ended and Perez said he felt screwed because effectively he said it ended in the wrong place what do you guys think of those comments and what do we think of the Red Bull versus Mercedes battle which was, albeit temporarily rekindled today
2: I think it's very interesting I think with Red Bull and Perez saying that they're not happy that the result was decided by a virtual safety car it's particularly interesting given Abu Dhabi last year Um, but I think Perez, he was struggling all race, really. He didn't have the pace that Max did. And yes, there may have been an error in the virtual safety car, but all the drivers had the same message. And Russell just took advantage of that opportunity and managed to slow down a bit and then get the momentum and go straight past Perez and caught him off guard. I don't think it was solely an error for Perez and he was the only one that got confused. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting to hear Red Bull and his comments.
0: Peres can whine all day, as much as he likes, that the virtual safety car cost him a podium. He cost himself a podium on the weekend. He wasn't up to standard. He was slow, comparative to Max, and he, di- he didn't bring it. He He underperformed. So that's on him. So... Yeah, you know, he can try and point to other things, but realistically, he knows that that wasn't his best. But it does beg the question, and this is something that you know a few people have kind of guessed at and rumored. Could it be that Red Bull were running a legal floor on Perez's car ahead of Hungary, in which which is where they need to be running the non-flexy floor from? So, could it be that actually? take away that advantage the Red Bull and Mercedes pace is much similar than it has been in the first you know 11 races of the season or whatever um, which begs the question surely there should be some kind of punishment there what do you guys think
1: Perez just didn't turn up this weekend for me I'm very surprised when his helmet came off at the end of the race He was actually Perez under there I thought it might have been uh, Joss Verstappen to be honest you know uh, Max's dad doing just driving Alex around Alex Albon
0: maybe Pierre Gasly Maybe. Someone I else. Mean uh, subpar number twos they've had.
1: Someone else was in that car for sure. But what you're you're right, Sam, I agree with you. With that what is interesting is if that is the case, it bodes well for the rest of the year. It also begs the question of just, just how fast that Red Bull is with that illegal floor, if they really have done that. And we know Horner is a bit Horner and Wolf are very similar in the sense of they like being in a public eye when they want to try and get advantages they're very very vocal politically uh so should i say more open politically than other team principles have been in the past and i'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to play this if this this poll plays out the way you think it does if red Bull are suddenly way on are suddenly on the pace of mercedes-benz and they're back battling each other what's going to happen in the paddock then 50 cuffs at dawn handbags at dawn even i don't who knows (laughs) but i'm with you looking forward to seeing what they're going to do
2: Actually, spoke with Catherine about this earlier today, and I think it could be true. Perez has said that the new upgrades in in the Red Bull he's not as comfortable with the new developments. He doesn't like they don't suit him, and if they are running this new floor on Perez, it, it would make sense to run it on Perez this legal floor because at the moment Max is leading the championship, so they want to make him have as much pace as they can with the illegal floor for as long as possible. But if this is the case then when it does get to Spa and the new floors have to be in it could change the whole it could change the whole championship really because max would then be battling with perez with hamilton with george and if ferrari's floor is illegal or if it's legal at the moment then it could change it all and mercedes like to strive for the perfect car they don't want to change just one thing to make that better they want to change the whole thing to make the perfect machine And if that is the case, that Red Bull are running this illegal floor at the moment, we could see Mercedes like finish second in the championship. It could be really interesting, and actually, I'm really excited to see it.
0: Maybe by accident, maybe by design, the car at the start of the year was much more tailored towards Perez's style comparative to the 2021 car. So I think it's only natural that Red Bull have taken it down that direction, because as As beautiful as those couple of races where Perez was, you know, Perez 2.0, he wasn't going to hold a candle to Max in a championship fight and the natural order of things has now returned. But yeah, we could be in for a very entertaining second half of the season if those top three teams are in fact closer than we were first led to believe because of the floor situation.
3: So today Formula One announced that their chief technical officer, Pat Simmons, he's leading a project together with the FIA and with Aramco to, by 2026, they will have 100% sustainable fuel. Now we know that right now we are using E10 fuel, which is basically made up of 10% ethanol, which is more sustainable. And this plan is helping to try and reach the net zero carbon um, project by 2030. So far, they also said that this fuel can only be used in F1 cars, but they might actually try to adapt it in road cars too. And speaking of sustainability, I think we can also look forward to Formula E this weekend, which is going to happen in London. We have rounds 13 and 14. So currently, we're going into the weekend with Stoffel van Dorn on top with 155 points for Mercedes. Then we have Eduardo Morto. Mortara with 144 points for Rocket Venturi and we also have Mitch Evans following Kinterd with 139 points for Jaguar and basically after New York all three drivers lagged the race pace none of them won a race in New York in two rounds so it's basically an open field so what do you guys think about the Formula E and Formula One sustainability battle and Also, it's like with Formula E, I feel like it has been really underrated lately. But we actually have a good open field, and we literally we have no idea who's going to be the champion at the end of the of the championship. So, what do you guys think?
0: I also think it's an incredibly strong field that is often overlooked. And you know, Stoffel van Dorn didn't—I don't think—performed to the level that he could have in Formula One. I think he was unlucky being teammates of Fernando Alonso, who we know can get something out of nothing. And... Yeah, it, it was a difficult period for him, but he's really showing, especially this season, just how talented he is in Formula E. And then there's Eduardo Mortara, who is an incredibly talented driver, who has in the past been linked to the Mercedes drive um, when there's been you know, rumours of, of changes there, um, be it you know, Bottas or, or Hamilton, when you know he was linked to uh, retirement at the end of the 2021 season. So you do have some really, really talented drivers. And also the fact that Giovanazzi has gone into formulae this season and not performed as people would expect, given that kind of F one bias that people have. And obviously, it's a different discipline. It's an electric engine. It's very, or powertrain. It's very, very different. But yeah, it's been incredibly close and exciting uh, battle. And I'm very much looking forward to, to round 13 and 14. And uh, me and Catherine are going to be there in in the paddock in the media center. So yeah, exciting things to come.
2: Well, I hope both of you have an amazing time this weekend, because like you said, the pack of drivers is so competitive and so strong, the championship is open to any, and Nick de Vries, we saw him in Formula 1 in FP1 for Mercedes at France, so he's looking very strong in that, but with the sustainability, Formula E is all about that, it's about the electric cars and no fossil fuels and that, which is a great thing but the championship just doesn't have as big an audience as other aspects of motorsport and i think with f1 moving to be net zero for 2026 i think that could potentially like shrink the audience of formula e because it would mean that f1 is carbon neutral like formula e but it will still have that massive audience, the drive to survive in America and Netflix and everything brings. However, the addition of McLaren for the Gen 3 era for Formula E could bring more people to that championship because McLaren is just such a massive team.
1: Formula One has been in a battle for its existence for many years now. Uh, how does it stay relevant? How does it stay? The people want to continue to watch it and honour its history. Formula One used to be about screaming V10s. It's not anymore. It's about being sustained about being technologically advanced as possible, and making sure that the combustion engine continues to remain relevant. Formula E is not that it's in the name, Formula E is meant to be all electric. Um, so I think in my view, it is a fanta- it's a fantastic that we're getting to the point now where we're getting 100% sustainable fuels, F1 uh, carbon neutral. I think McLaren's entry into Formula E will do a lot of good for sure for Formula E's uh, existence. and. I think it might be, the, in my view, it will probably be the start of a slow flurry of other well-known teams, whether it's Formula 1 or other motorsport categories, making the journey into, into the sport. It's got a long way to go before it becomes as anywhere near as popular as Formula 1, but I think with McLaren's entry, they're on the right track.
3: And just closing off on this final thought, because we are speaking about Formula E's existence. And, okay, we have McLaren coming in, but then we have Mercedes exiting the sport. And we also have some really good drivers, too. So Alexander Sims is going to make a change to endurance. And this weekend, when we saw Nick Devries driving for Mercedes at the French Grand Prix... Sky also rumoured that he is also Going to make a switch to endurance So it's like they're going to Lose some great drivers here Do you guys see maybe Any Formula 1 drivers That might maybe join The um, the field And also like how do you see Formula E Surviving such, um,
1: such Obstacles too One driver he won't be going for another two, another two seasons or so but Danny Rick will make the jump And he will be McLaren's driver in Formula E Probably from
0: 2024, 2025? I don't know. Personally, I, you you might have inside information there, Jay. not inside information, but you might know more about this than me. Um, I would have thought that Danny Rick would go the indie route if he was going to continue racing. But I, I always thought that Formula E was very Sebastian Vettel. Uh, so that's who I would reckon uh, would make that switch there.
2: I would have to agree with you, Sam, there. And... If you continue to listen to this podcast, we will have more news on Vettel's future in motorsport later on.
0: But yeah, uh, uh, Catherine, to the the other part of your question. I really don't know. It's, it's an interesting one that as F1 becomes more environmentally friendly, it makes Formula E potentially more um, obsolete, which I, I don't think should be the reality. I think Formula E brings a lot to the table in terms of technology, in terms of opportunity. It's a very different style of racing as well, which is... Is often much more entertaining, so they ha- it has some really, really strong benefits to it. Uh, so I hope it doesn't fall away. When talking about Formula E, there, Abby, you touched upon Nick De Vries, and he is also one of the drivers who potentially could fill a role at Williams next season. So there's a lot of speculation over who the second seat will go to there uh, within Formula One. He, of course, had his free practice outing with the team earlier in the season in Barcelona. He also had his Mercedes outing in France. So he's a contender. And I think there's, ai have said this before, a lot of lessons need to be learned with how Nick De Vries has not been afforded those opportunities in for Formula 1. And I think it'd be a crying shame if he did, was to go down the endurance racing route because I think there is a lot that he could offer um, in Formula 1, um, you know, be it next season, be it in, you know, in a different capacity in, in the future. A couple of the other drivers who've been widely speculated so far this season are Oscar Piastri so we reported on this uh, in the run up to the Canadian Grand Prix that Latifi would potentially lose his seat for the British Grand Prix and Piastri would you know take over midway through the season as a loan from Alpine as part of his potential engine supplier deal um, with Renault engines going to Williams for next season so there's yeah there's the Piastri link um Alpine are very, very open to that for next season. But there is a new contender that has started to shine through from the Williams Academy over the last two, three rounds of the F2 season. And that's Logan Sargent. And he has been in sensational form. And Abby, I know that, you know, as the uh, former, well, now deputy editor, former F2, F3 editor uh, with me, um, you um, have followed Logan's season quite closely. So, So what are your thoughts here?
2: I think he could end up at Williams next season, and I think it is completely deserved. Coming from Formula 3, last season he finished the championship in seventh, and already this season in Formula 2, in his rookie season, he is the highest rookie, and he is third in the championship on 118 points, just behind Theo Pourchaire and Felipe Dragovic. 2022 has been amazing for Sargent because... He won in Austria, he got another pole at Paul Ricard, but unfortunately he suffered another DNF there. But he is just on form and his maturity at his age and at his level is amazing because at Paul Ricard, he was on pole and before the feet race on the grid, his engineer said, you've got a flat spot on one of your tyres. And he went, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about it now. Let's just have a good race and see what we can do. Now, he didn't panic or anything. And it was really great to see. And I think he deserves to see in Formula One, definitely in the future. I know he's American, so he could end up going to IndyCar. But I think Formula One definitely deserves Logan Sargent because he is just such a talented driver.
0: And also it's interesting that it's developed so quickly. And I've got a couple of points where we've often seen F3 drivers who have had you know decent F3 seasons make the step to F2 and really turn it on. They just gel click with the car much better than they did in in Formula 3, or vice versa. Logan Sargent has been much stronger than anticipated. and In fact, just before the start of the season, I spoke to Trevor Carlin, who's, of course, his team principal, and Liam Lawson is is, his teammate, who's more experienced in Formula 2 and was very much who they were looking to to kind of lead the title charge. And they've had a competitive package in F2 for for a while now. Um, And... Liam has been incredibly unlucky uh, this season. He's he's been quick. He's you know shown it. He's, he's he's won a couple of races, but it is Logan Sargent who looks like he would, you know he's going to be the one to challenge Teo Porcher and Drogovic. But there's a big gap there yeah you know, to Drogovic. So I don't know. We'll have to see. But I I th- I'd be intrigued to see him take that second seat. Um, I think it's you know kind of a given that uh, Latifi will be going at the end of the season at this stage. Another person who is part of the Williams Driving Academy, who we need to talk about, because of the utter dominance that she is displaying in W Series, is Jamie Chadwick. Has been absolutely fantastic. There are cries and calls throughout the the, F, the, the 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 motorsport media and fan base, and every, you know all the insiders that she at the very least should be in Formula Three, if not Formula Two. Um, so Catherine James. Have you got any any thoughts there?
3: So, it's like you mentioned, for example, Latifi. And that is what I was thinking when it came to Williams. Like, between Albon and Latifi, who are they going to choose? Because if I had to choose between them, I would love to keep Albon in F1. But then we need to remember that Latifi, he brings a sponsor to them. He brings Sofina. And this is when I got thinking about Jamie Chadwick. She is so dominant in W Series. I honestly, I was talking with a friend about it. I told them she is the Paris Saint-Germain in Ligue 1. She is dominant. She's not going to lose. And But she doesn't have a sponsor behind her. And I think that is what is maybe keeping her from joining F1. I do also think that maybe Formula 1 is still a male-dominated sport, as we can see. So that is also another obstacle for her to overcome. But I believe that there are people who are believing in her and want to bring her forward. But that is the thing. It's just with the money... It is really difficult for her to finally get in Formula One, I think. And I would love to try and maybe see Williams actually just... Or maybe even a sponsor. Just trying to sponsor her and make her way... And so I don't know. I can see her at Williams, and she already had a test with them last year, as far as I remember.
1: I think so. It is. It's disappointing, isn't it? Because if you think about Felipe Drugovich, who's having he's in the form of his life in Formula Two, he doesn't have a sponsor either, and we're going to have another potential F two champion who doesn't make the jump to Formula One. We've once, we're once again talking about a prime talent in Formula Two, but we're talking about other talents who are looking who are in running for that seat. Jamie Chadwick, as you say, Catherine, exactly the same problem. I mean, I, I, I'm sure we all watched the, race, the W Series race, didn't we? And she started third on the grid, and she was able just to jump straight. To the, she got straight to the front, and then never, never gave it up. And that's a 100% dominance for the entire year. Uh, and she's not, and she's not in Formula One or Formula two, Formula two. I'm with you, Sam. I think she should be in a. She should be in at least Formula Three, Formula Two. I mean, the one thing I'd also say as well about uh, Latifi and Safina. Williams are not the same team they once were back in, when was it, when before they were bought out by Doralinton. So you're talking a couple of years ago now. But they went dire straits a couple of years ago and they needed Latifi's money. They don't anymore. And then, please bear in mind also that Albon is on a deal from Red Bull and that will come with some financial support. So I think there are other drivers who now can get that seat. Chadwick, I'm with you. I would love it to be her. Um, I think more likely it's probably going to be Logan Sargent because he will bring sponsorship money, but not as much. And that is not a bad position for the sport to head back to, because pay, paying to get to the into your seat is fine, but when you
0: start bringing the team down, different matter entirely. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's difficult, because again, I think you're right that the changes at Williams and also the changes of the cost cap with um, how much revenue the sport is bringing in for the teams, it makes pay drivers less of a necessity, even for a team like Williams. So there is opportunity there, um, with regards to, to Chadwick, though, yeah, you know, her seventh race in a, a row, she's won now. You know, f- five this season, uh, of course. But yeah, so there has been rumours that she could have driven in F three this season, but it wouldn't have been for a team that has been competitive recently. So she felt that actually saying W series was the best option for her. Um, but I think, and you know, with Drogovic, you're potentially looking at the third driver in recent memory. Who has won the Formula Two championship and may not make that step to F1? Obviously, we don't yet know if Djokovic will win the championship, and we don't yet know if he'll not make it to F1. So there's some question marks there. But yeah, there's there's some something needs to be needs to be changed there. But obviously, that's a bit of a, a side point from from the immediate um, conversation here. I think Piastri will get the seat. I think Sergeant will have a second season in F2. I think he he will make a step up to Williams the following season essentially I can see Albon moving on to a different team potentially outside of, of the Red Bull programme so yeah there's there's opportunities but Sargent's had a fantastic year it's been brilliant to see likewise for Chadwick and I think yeah we need to learn from the Nick de situation and Piastri needs to be in F1 next year
2: well speaking of moving forward there were three drivers over the weekend of the French Grand Prix whose futures in F1 were discussed quite a lot and they were Daniel Ricciardo, Sebastian Vettel, and Lewis Hamilton. Now, Lewis Hamilton—it was his 300th race in Formula One, joining the likes of Alonso and Barrichello, Button, Schumacher, Kimi. And unfortunately, he didn't win, but he was on the podium in P2, his best result this season. But his future was discussed, and Toto Wolff said that Hamilton could get ten championships. Why push? Why not? Why settle for eight? Why not push for ten? And that he could be here for another for 400 races. Another 100 races on top of what he's done. I mean, there was speculation about him retiring earlier this season after Abu Dhabi, that he is back this season. And he said that he's, there's still fuel in the tank. He doesn't want to give up yet. Do you guys think we could see him get to 400 races?
1: Well, I mean, I, mean, it, I was just trying to do the math in my head, which is dangerous when you've got COVID brain, but... Uh, I think that's roughly around four to five extra seasons for him in Formula One if I'm right four seasons, yeah four seasons um, which in reality isn't doesn't sound that long if you really think about it Hamilton is what 34 35 now um, Alonso's you know fought, you know in his well into his 40s and he's still racing. so I, I do think it's possible for, for Hamilton to do it whether he's competitive or not is another question entirely. And if he still has the drive, and Mercedes can give him the tools he needs to do it, so possible, yes. Reality, a lot will depend on the car. And that's not me putting Hamilton down, but if if you're getting on into later in life and you want to start slowing down a little bit, I know Formula One drivers have a very early retirement age. To so a lot of other people, they are extremely lucky, um, which I could retire really, heading into my forties. But never mind. But the, but the problem is with I think if if, you could, if you're not providing the equipment he needs, he will not stay. Simple as
0: that. Yeah, I can't see Hamilton being the kind of driver who will race in a midfield team for the love of the sport. He'll want to go out top, and he'll want to really only stay if, if if he's in a shout for podiums or wins on a regular basis. Four hundred races is a is a lot. And yeah, James, I think I was doing the maths, and I, I think by yeah by the end of the season he'll be a rough what three ten, and then the next four years roughly twenty three. Races a season. So it'll be around another four years uh, to get to that 400. So it'll be 41, 42 ish, uh, you know, four, at the end of another four and a half seasons. So, which is, yeah, around Fernando's age. I can't see him going longer than that. And that's, you know, that's a long time still. So I think he'll get eight. I don't think he'll get 10. I think Toto Wolf is maybe just trying to scare. Or play with Red Bull a little bit.
3: It's just after what happened in Abu Dhabi, which of course has a great effect on him. It's it's a lot of things changed since then, and I think now we're going into um, into a new era where Formula One is really changing. We're going to have more teams competing, and even with the drivers that are coming up, the the playing field is honestly going to be out of this world, in my opinion. Because you have to think about it. You have George Russell, who is hungry for a championship, and I believe that he will get it. Max Verstappen, there's no stopping him. Charles Leclerc will also try to get one. Carlos Sainz is in a position for it. Lando Norris, if McLaren try to actually get better, he will probably get a championship too. It's just, he is is coming up against five drivers who are all hungry for that championship. And not that he cannot do it. It's just... I think it's now, it's the sport moving forward, you know, and plus he also has the Xtreme E team, X44, which he said that he wants to focus on. He has Mission 44, his um, his charity organisation, and I think he would move forward to then just focus on that.
2: 400 does seem overly optimistic, shall I say, not very realistic, but I mean, I would love to see Hamilton in the sport for longer, but who knows but obviously there was news about ricardo he said give me a winning car and i'll win now i'm pretty sure everybody loves daniel ricardo and he confirmed that he would be staying with mclaren until the end of next year so whether that is true i hope it is whether mclaren will try and end his contract early who knows but the major thing was ted Kravitz's comments on sebastian vettel and Vettel Aston Martin obviously haven't had a very good season and Vettel wants to be racing for wins not just some measly points and Ted Kravitz said that he understands Aston Martin have offered Sebastian Vettel a contract but he hasn't accepted that offer yet and Sebastian seems to be behaving in some certain critical ways like bringing his kids to the racetrack in Austria doing all these memorable things with old cars like the green pea that suggests that He's making 2022 his final season in Formula 1. Now, for me, I think that is plausible. I think this could be Vettel's last season. I wish it wasn't. But it does look that way. What do you guys think? Could we see Vettel retiring this year? I think, unfortunately,
3: it is possible. Especially with how Austin Martin are doing right now. I think that Vettel will understand that the team needs to move forward. And I'm not saying that they won't move forward with him. But it's just, I feel... For a team to be in a really bad situation and then start coming back from it, they are going to need a young driver too that will just give that sort of new environment to them. He will give that new energy too. My ideal situation at Austin Martin would be that Vettel stays and a rookie driver joins him Unfortunately I don't think it'll happen I think Stroll will stay But yeah I do see Vettel and maybe Alonso Joining him in
1: retiring Agreed I think I think Vettel's time is done Unfortunately I do actually have a book in my collection Which is called The Formula One Young Guns With Sebastian Vettel included in that category Alongside um, People like Lewis Hamilton Which just shows how unfortunately how times change And also how old I am Um but I think the time has come now uh, for those guys to step away and to let the new generation come through. Happens to all of all drivers, all generations. It's time.
0: And speaking of young guns, Vessel's Vettel, protege, Mick Schumacher, which again, I said it in a piece recently, has this beautiful kind of poetry to it that Vessel obviously came in at the end of Michael's kind of competitive career, let's say. Um, and then he's kind of, you know, getting to do the same with Mick. Um, but Mick is unfortunately not going to have any upgrades in Hungary this weekend uh, as we look forward and ahead to that to that race. Um, Stein has basically come out and said that they don't have those available for him. And with the money that Schumacher has cost the team with some of the accidents early in the season, it makes sense that any upgrades go to Magnussen at this stage. So yeah, that, that, I mean, that's a shame for, for Mick, but it's been really pleasing to see how he's turned around his season. He's been really competitive over the last few rounds uh, comparative to where he was at the start of the year. Um, so yeah, w- what are you guys' thoughts there? Magnuson? I had a bit of a, an odd incident with Latifi over the weekend, uh, which wasn't very like him. He's aggressive, but he's usually much more controlled than that. Um, how do you think the Haskellys will fare in Hungary, guys?
1: So, there's a project management term. so I know that's a very old way to start an argument off, but there's a very as a project project manager term where if things start to go wrong, you deal with what's called the ripple effect of things going wrong until they start to go right. Now, what Schumacher has is experiencing is just that. He's had his accidents. They've costed him a lot of money, and he's now dealing with the with the consequences of that. what i I think that's going to be a good deterrent for him going forward. And it will assist him, it will help him, but it will also be a reminder of the fact every time he looks across the garage, those parts aren't on my car because of my actions. And I don't mean that in a way to put down Schumacher. It's something every driver has to go through when they first come to Formula One. In terms of how the guys are going to perform in Hungary this weekend, I fancy their chances of a double points finish again. Because I think the circuit circuit will play to the, the characteristics of the car. And I do fancy their chances of not just sneaking into the points, but being there on merit.
3: I would agree with James. And also, it's just I feel like this incident, it had showed how mature Mick is too. It's just for a young driver who has basically had a a bit of a bad stint at first. He is still just not blaming it on other people, but he is just taking responsibility for it. It's like... When he was asked about it, he said, that's okay for me. Budapest is a track that could actually suit us. So even without a new package, it can be good there. And so I think with this lineup, Hus really hit the jackpot, if one can say. Because you have Mick, who is being mature about it. And despite not having upgrades, he is positive that they might actually still get a good result. So... It just shows motivation. And then you have Kevin, who is just basically a great driver with great experience and someone who Mick looks up to and he wants to get to his level. So, yeah, I actually, I do hope that in Budapest they get double points too. And I do look at them getting them. So
2: Yeah, I think it's it's quite right for Haas to give Magnussen the upgrades because Schumacher has cost them more this season than his teammate. So that is logical, but... Schumacher doesn't seem worried about it. He said that Budapest is a track that should suit them. So even without the new package, he should be able to perform well. And in the last two races, he got his first F1 points. Obviously he didn't in France, but hopefully that can continue into Budapest and we can see him perform well, have a good result and Magnussen as well to prove that the upgrades actually work.
0: Completely. And I think that's a nice note to end, end on as well. Um, such a legendary name in the sport. It's really nice that he's he's coming good. Because as I said earlier in the season, there were some question marks over his form. Um, but yeah, thank you very much um, for hosting Abby, and uh, thank you for joining me as well, James and Catherine. Abby, where can you go if you want to get uh, news from Formula Nerds?
2: You can visit our website, formula for all the latest news. And you can follow us on all socials TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And also remember to listen to our Cut to the Race podcast for our review of the Hungarian Grand Prix on Sunday. You're
1: listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Away we go. go. Sports Social Podcast Network.